you would, to Isaiah uh, chapter 1, I, the book of Isaiah chapter 1, if you would. Isaiah chapter 1, this great book of vision, he's called the eagle Eye prophet. <clears throat> Won't stand quite yet, because I just want to get a running start toward our text. Just glance with me at Isaiah 1 verse 1. Look there what it says, it says, the vision of Isaiah, the son of Amos, which he saw concerning Judah and Jerusalem in the days of Uzziah, Jotham, Ahaz, and Hezekiah, kings of Judah. So Isaiah receives this vision, uh, and he's known as a prophet with tremendous vision into God's revelation for the people. He has a vision for the people. Uh, look where this comes from. Flip over to chapter 2, verse 1. Uh, where the vision comes from is chapter 2, verse 1. It says, the word, the word that Isaiah, the son of Amos, saw concerning Judah and Jerusalem. So the vision comes from the word. Amen. Uh, that's where our vision is going to come from. Now, fast forward over there to that great text, Isaiah 6. And this is where we will be. If you would stand with me to give honor and reverence to the word of God. We know there's no mission if there's no vision. And before we can have a proper vision for the people like Isaiah God, before we can have a proper vision of ourselves even, and our mission, we must have a proper vision of our God. And so it's no accident that the greatest texts of, of, of missions in the Bible are also the greatest texts that show us who our God is. Amen. And one of the greatest of those is certainly Isaiah chapter 6 here. Look there with me in verse 1. The Bible says, In the year that King Uzziah died, I saw also the Lord sitting upon a throne, high and lifted up, and his train filled the temple. Above it stood the seraphims, each one had six wings. With twain he covered his face, and with twain he covered his feet, and with twain he did fly. And one cried unto another and said, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. The whole earth is full of his glory. Let's pray. Dear Lord, Heavenly Father, we thank you so much for your love and goodness toward us. Surely, Lord, not a one of us is worthy of all the blessings that we have in Christ Jesus, all the riches in Christ that we've received through salvation and, and uh, through being plugged into the church. But Lord, we thank you for this opportunity to worship you once again on a Sunday evening. We pray that you'd bless, that you pray that you'd bind the enemy. We pray that you'd give your word free course tonight, uh, that take up residence in our heart. Lord, create in us a great desire for your global glory tonight. Lord, we ask you these things in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. Please be seated. Helen Keller, of course, is famous uh, blind woman of the past. She had her famous school, which still is in existence today, to help folks uh, that are blind. It's called Helen Keller School of the Blind. Uh, perhaps you've heard of it. Now, when I was in Heartland Baptist Bible College, they told me, you shouldn't look for a wife here. You should look at Helen Keller School of the Blind, you know, to find a wife. But uh, um, some of you, I can see that's the case as well. But I thank God for West Coast Baptist College because I, I prayed for a beautiful, a wife that was beautiful on the inside and the outside. And uh, there were none in Oklahoma City. So thank God for West Coast Baptist College there where I found mine. I'm just kidding about that there. But uh, Helen Keller had this famous quote, okay? And she, she said this. Now, she's born blind, okay? Uh, but she said, the only thing worse than being born blind is to, be, is to have sight but with no vision, to have sight with no vision. As a blind woman, she had more vision 
than many of us who are seeing have and have had so far in our lifetime. Isaiah receives this vision of God. This is one of the greatest glimpses of God that we have in our Bible. We know that no man has seen God at any time. Nobody has ever seen the full essence of God's glory because it would consume us. Moses asked for the great question, God, uh, uh, let me see your glory. And God, in essence, told Moses, you know better than that. No man can see my face and live. But we do have in the scripture certain instances where uh, men are given a glimpse, just a glimpse uh, of God. And we have that here in Isaiah chapter 6. We see the heart of God here. And look, let's start there with verse 1. It says, in the year that King Uzziah died, I saw also the Lord. Isaiah gets this great revelation from God in the year that King Uzziah died. Died. Now, Uzziah was one of the top five kings of all of Judah's history. Okay, I don't know who you would think of as some of the greatest presidents of the United States. Uh, I know him in Washington, so I won't get into that. Okay, but I would think of maybe a Ronald Reagan or, or those things. Okay, don't shoot me. But uh, uh, now this great leader who reigned for 52 years is off the scene. But it's at this moment that uh, Isaiah gets his eyes off the earthly king and he sees the one who is truly on the throne, the heavenly king. Uh, how many of you perhaps were alive when JFK was shot? Uh, you maybe remember that on the news, amen. Well, when that happened, they say on the news that it was a great turmoil because all of a sudden the leader is off the scene. That happens here, 52 years of, of reigning, now Uzziah is off the scene, but that's when he lifts up his eyes and sees the heavenly king. And by the way, uh, until we get our eyes off of earthly things, we will never have the proper vision of God that we need to have. It's in the year that King Uzziah dies or that he sees the Lord. And he simply describes it this way. He says, I saw also the Lord sitting upon a throne high and lifted up. Now, right there, we just have to say this. No preacher can ever preach God high enough. Amen. No preacher can ever preach long enough or loud enough or with great flowery words enough to ever express what a great God we have. Isaiah himself, one of the greatest preachers, the premier prophet of the Old Testament, all the words he can summon up to describe God is to say there that he is high and lifted up. Oh, if we could see him tonight, if somehow we, we, God were to appear here in this room, listen, all of us would be on our faces before the Lord because of the great holy God that he is. Isaiah sees him as high and lifted up as the lamb who is worthy to be praised. He's higher than we can fathom. Now, I had a uh, college and career teacher that had us at one time. He said, I want you all to close your eyes and imagine God. Everything you know of him, even from scripture, imagine the Lord. And we did that, and he asked us if we thought we had it, and we said yes, and he says, I want you to know you've all just lowered God. Because the truth is, he is so much higher than we can imagine, amen? He is so much greater. He's beyond our thoughts. He's beyond our words. There are no categories to put him in. So Isaiah sees, he, he says that he is high and lifted up. Now, I'm thankful as a Christian, one day we shall see Jesus, amen? We shall see him as he truly is, and what a day that will be. But until then, we go on in faith. Isaiah describes him as high and lifted up. And he doesn't stop there. He says, and his train filled the temple. Let me say this. If we saw God just for an instance, we, we, would, we would be motivated for the great mission that God has for us. His train filled the temple. The uh, royal robe of eastern monarchs, of eastern kings back in those days, the longer the robe was, the more glory that that king had. 
Perhaps you've been at a wedding, perhaps here or at a different church where uh, the bride is coming down the aisle and coming up here. And boy, that dress just keeps going and going. And, and it's all the way. It's still over there in the parking lot. That's a long dress. But you might have thought, wow, that's an, that's an awesome dress. But uh, that's how it was back in those days. The longer the robe of the king, boy, the greater that that king was. But the Bible describes of the Lord here that his train, his robe filled the temple. There was not a place where God's glory. Now, remember, Isaiah is getting a vision of the heavenly temple. He says there, oh, there's not a place where God's glory can be, you can escape from. There's not a place where God's glory did not saturate the, the, the throne room there. Uh, what a great thing it would be if God's glory would always fill the temple, amen, that this place would be full of, uh, of the Spirit of God, that this place would be always, we'd come in with the anticipation to behold the glory of God through the preached word. Well, that's what Isaiah sees. There was no man, room for any man's glory. But in verse 2 it says, Now above it stood the seraphims. Now these are the angels of God that are closest in proximity to the throne. Okay, we know there are messenger angels and warrior angels and Gabriel and Michael and those, but these are not even the cherubim. These are the seraphim, okay? They're created for the worship of God exclusively. The word seraph in Hebrew means burning ones or fiery ones because they're ablaze with the glory of God. Because they're so close to the throne of God, they burn with a, with a praise for the Lord. And this glory that they have is not their own. It is given to them by God. By the way, the closer we get to God, the more on fire we will be. Amen. And uh, they see the Lord and, and it describes them there. Each one had six wings. OK, with twain, he covered his face and with twain, he covers his feet. And with twain, he did fly six wings. Now, let's just say this. They did not evolve that way. Amen. They didn't evolve with six wings. I always say if evolution was true. Every mother would have three arms, okay, because of all the work that it entails. But they have six wings because they're created perfectly for their habitat. Just like birds of the air are given feathers because they are to dwell in the air, and fish are given gills because they are to dwell in the sea, these seraphim are given six wings because they are to dwell in the immediate presence of God. With two wings, they cover their face, of course, an act of worship, even this seraph, even this one who is the most glorious of all God's created creatures above humans and the highest of the angels, even they cannot bear to stand the full glory of God. They cannot look a bold face into the full glory of God. And so with two wings, they cover their face. With another two wings, cover their feet, signalizing that they are created by God. The glory they have is not their own. It has been given to them by the Lord. And then with the last two wings, they, we know that they serve God. We're going to see those wings come into action in just a few verses here. One well, verse three, more important than the seraphim, in verse three is their message. Because they do not point to themselves, even though they're the most glorious of God's created beings, they hide themselves and they point to him with their message. And here is their message in verse three. And one cried unto another and said, holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. Having the idea of singing, cried, having the idea of singing. This off repetition signifies that the angels cannot satisfy themselves in praising God. Their message is the thrice holiness of God. Now, in Hebrew literature, when they wanted to emphasize, they would repeat. Okay, in English, if we want to emphasize something in writing, we might put it in bolds or 
uh, italics or highlighted or, or quote marks around it, but in Hebrew they would repeat. And to give something in Hebrew the ultimate emphasis, you repeat it to the third degree. Uh, you know the number of man, six. When things get bad, the Antichrist is going to roll out the six, six, six. When the worst part of the tribulation occurs, there's an angel of, of death that's going to come and announce, whoa, whoa, whoa. You don't want to be here, okay, when, when he makes that announcement. Uh, we know that to give something emphasis, the Lord would say, verily, verily, sometimes, and repeat to the second degree. But the only attribute of God repeated to the third degree is the holiness of God. Because the Bible is telling us the most important thing we need to know about our God. Yes, he is love. Yes, he is mercy. Yes, he is justice. But the most important thing we need to know is that he is holy, that God is holy. But if there's anything our society has forgotten, it's the fact that God is holy. Oh, but he is holy. What does it mean? What makes these angels cry out like this, like never before? Uh, this is what missions, really, this is the foundation of what missions is all about. If you don't have a holy God, then you don't need a, a Savior. Real worship is only uh, when we see him and the angels see him here as holy. It means that God is separate, unique. It does not just mean sinless. You might think, well, holiness means sinless. No, because these angels are sinless. But they say he alone is holy, holy, holy. You see, the holiness of God, it is God's essence. It is what makes him God. It is the fact that he's separate, unique, distinct, transcendent. He's absolutely 100%, one of a kind. He's set apart. He's indefinable. He's indescribable. He's infinite. And that's why Isaiah makes no attempt in, th in these verses, even though he saw him a glimpse, he makes no attempt to describe God because it would be describing the indescribable. Now, he describes a seraph. He describes the throne. He's going to describe the posts of the door. He's going to describe himself in great detail. He's going to describe the timing, the th uh, what's going on in the throne room. But all he can say about God is he is high and lifted up because he's the indescribable one. He is holy. That's the root, word, the root meaning of the name Jehovah, the I am, the self-existent one. Listen to these scriptures about the holiness of God. Uh, in Isaiah 40, verse 25, all of these are from Isaiah. Our text here, Isaiah 40 says, To whom then will you liken me? Or shall I be equal, saith the Holy One? Isaiah 55 says this, For my thoughts are not your thoughts, neither are your ways my ways, saith the Lord. For as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways, and my thoughts than your thoughts. But my favorite scripture on the holiness of God is in Exodus. You remember when God comes to Moses and tells him to deliver his people. Moses asks God, Whom shall I say sent me? Because back in Egypt, where he grew up, there was a God for everything. Boy, there was a hippo God. There was a God of the Nile. There was a sphinx God. There was a, a snake God. There was a, every type of God you can imagine for everything you could imagine. Patterned after everything in this created world. But God says to Moses, no, tell him, I am that I am hath sent you. Because there is nothing and nobody in this created world that God can point down to and say, I am like him or I am like that. You see, there are no categories to put God in. He's, he's self-existent. He's the Jehovah. He's simply the I am. That's where his name comes from, by the way. Jehovah comes from that uh, uh, Hebrew word, uh, wording, I am that I am. He is the, the only one there is. He's the only one, God. He's beyond our words. He's beyond our 
understanding. He's beyond our thoughts. And that's why Isaiah simply says he is high and lifted up. And this is the root of the good news of the gospel of our mission. It's the great God that we have. I love heaven and to think about heaven, but I like the southern gospel songs about heaven. But you realize heaven is not about the streets of gold. It's not just about the walls of Jasper. It's not just about uh, the crystal sea, because if it's about those things, you'd think that perhaps after the first million years, if you will, you, you might get tired of it. But the, what makes heaven heaven is the fact that God is there, that God is there. Oh, I love that old hymn. Jesus will outshine them all. Amen. Oh, one, every moment, if you will, in, in heaven will be a, a fresh glimpse of the glory of God because he is infinite. Even an eternity in heaven would not exhaust our amazement of who our God is. Oh, to think that he's the infinitely holy one. And it bursts that phrase there that says the whole earth now is full of his glory. The whole earth is full of his glory. That great missionary phrase, if you will. We saw what his holiness is, but his, the glory of God, okay, is when his holiness goes on display. When his holiness goes public, that is the glory of of God when we spread it all over the world the train his train filled the temple but his glory is not just confined to the throne room God's majesty and glory reaches everywhere there is no room for any man to escape it you realize the glory of God is everywhere throughout the created world amen through the through the through the creation and and through all the glory that we behold but people are walking around blinded that's why missions that's where missions comes in God's glory is there. There is an infinitely glorious creator, but man is blinded to him because of sin. He's like walking around this world with blinders on, dimmed uh, to the light of God. Only when he is saved as his eyes open to see the holy, uh, holiness of God and the charge that the whole earth would be full of his glory. Listen, that's the glory of God is the cross and cross-cultural missions, taking it from America or from other, some other nation to an, crossing over into another culture, bringing the message of the cross there. Oh, that is a very uh, uh, uplifting thing to Christ. But it doesn't end there. Look at verse 4 now. It says, And the posts of the door moved at the voice of him that cried, and the house was filled with smoke. You see, it shook now the very foundation of heaven itself, of heaven itself. The fact is, heaven itself cannot bear the full glory of God. God is so holy, our God is so great, that heaven itself is moved. My question is, how can you and I not be moved by who God is? Heaven itself is ready to burst at the seam. If it wasn't for God holding all things together, uh, we know that the universe could not contain the glory of God. He is holy. He fills the temple. He fills the whole earth. But now we see that heaven itself cannot contain the glory of God. Heaven itself wants to spread out, spread it out and, and do missions, if you will. And uh, it moved in that sense. If that is the case, is that, if that is how great a God we have, how can we be content to keep it within the walls of our homes, to keep it within our own hearts? If heaven wants to burst out the glory of God, it ought to be the desire of every Christian that the whole earth might be full of the glory of the Lord and the message of the cross. It was said of the British Empire at one time, the sun, what did they say? The sun never set on the British Empire because they had colonies all over. Wherever the sun was highest, they had something there. May it be said of missions that the sun never sets 
on missions. Amen? May it be said of Berean Baptist Church that the sun never sets on the ministry of Berean Baptist Church. You know how you do that? Missions. Amen? While you're sleeping here in Washington, somebody can be laboring for souls on the other side of the world in the Philippines or in Papua New Guinea or China or wherever it might be that the sun would never set on our ministry as Christians. Oh, why? So that the whole earth would be full of the glory of God. What is man's reaction to this great God? You might think that man would, would flock to God. That's not the case. Look quickly now at uh, verse 5 of chapter 6. Verse 5 of chapter 6. Then said I, woe is me. See, because when you see God for who he is, then all of a sudden you see yourself for who you truly are. Nobody wants to do that. So they create false religions. They create uh, whatever they need to create, a system, a framework, so that they don't have to face who God really is. You see, because as long as we compare ourselves amongst ourselves, you're safe because we can always find someone worse off than us, can't we? Just go to Walmart, right? And you'll find, go to Walmart at midnight, all right? And you'll find someone doing worse than yourself. But when you compare yourself to the blazing holiness of God, Isaiah's reaction, and he's a prophet, but Isaiah's reaction is to say, woe is me. Now, Isaiah had just preached a great message. Look at uh, chapter 5, verse 8, where he preaches a sixfold woe to Israel. Look at chapter 5, verse 8. He says, woe unto them that join house to house, that lay field to field. And on he goes. Look at verse 11. Woe unto them that rise up early in the morning. Amen. No, it doesn't stop there. No, it says that they may follow strong drink. Look at verse uh, 18. Woe unto them that draw iniquity with cords of vanity. Look at verse 20. Woe unto them that call evil good and good evil. Verse 21. Woe unto them that are wise in their own eyes. Verse 22. Woe unto them that are mighty to drink wine and men of strength to mingle strong drink. It's woe is you and woe is you and woe is you. But when he sees God, now all of a sudden it's woe is me. Woe is me. You know when you point the finger at someone else, you got what do they say? You got three pointing right back to you. Isaiah sees himself for who he truly is. And he says, woe is me. It's the opposite to say, God bless you. Bless, bless you. The opposite of that is to say, woe. And he says, woe is me. Why? For I am undone, reduced to nothing. As one that doesn't exist, the Spanish translation says, uh, soy muerte means I'm dead, I'm finished, I'm done. Because I've seen the Holy One. To be undone means to come apart. His integrity, he thought had it all together, but now his integrity has disintegrated, if you will. He's, it's come apart before God because he's seen the Holy One. If you think you will stand at the judgment seat of Christ on your own merit, you will be in a shock. You will say on that day, woe is me, eternally. While there's time, realize that you're, if you're not saved here, realize that, that your sin can only be atoned for by the blood of Christ. Oh, but those that are out there, that's why we do missions, because rather than see themselves for who they are, they say like Peter did, Lord, depart from me, for I am a sinful man. They push away God. And so missions needs to come and bring the message of redemption. Isaiah says, I'm finished because I am a man of unclean lips. I dwell in the midst of a people of unclean lips. Now he gets a vision, not only of himself, but he gets a proper vision for souls. 
You see, immediately he's concerned not only with himself but for others. He says, I dwell in the midst of a, a people also. I'm unclean, but everybody else is as well. We all have this great need. You'll never have a proper vision for souls until you have a proper vision of God, until we see him as high and lifted up. The things that desensitize us from, of sin are also the things which cause our vision of God to blur. We all need that. By the way, that's why we come to church, amen, to have our vision of God restored as we're working in and about the world. Uh, sometimes it gets blurred, but we need to come into the house of God to see God again as high and holy. God's response to Isaiah's brokenness here, look, he doesn't leave him where he is. In verse 6, there says, Then flew one of the seraphim unto me. So he uses those wings, flies to Isaiah, the Bible says, having a live coal in his hand, which he had taken with the tongs from off the altar, and he laid it upon my lip, or my mouth, and said, Lo, this hath touched thy lips, and thine iniquity is taken away, and thy sin purged. What happens is one of these seraphim leaves basking in the glory of God, takes this live coal, which is too hot even for the seraph to touch. So he uses the tongs, flies to Isaiah, places it at the, at the place of sin. He said, I'm a man of unclean lips. And so it is put on his lips and it purges, the Bible says, his sin away. And many ask the question, what does it mean with the coal? Because all through the Old Testament, where we are here in Isaiah, it's been a blood sacrifice that temporarily covers up sin. But what is with the coal? It's because a coal is a picture of a finished sacrifice. Amen? A finished sacrifice. After the sacrifice is all done, the perfect sacrifice, what is left over is the coal, and it is a picture of a finished sacrifice. I could prove this to you from John chapter 12, where we won't turn there, but there Jesus himself uh, uh, is being spoken of, and he quote, and John quotes from Isaiah 6 here, and he says, Well spake the prophet Isaiah when he saw his glory and spoke of him. John says that the one here in Isaiah 6 that Isaiah saw was Jesus himself, the Christ, the finished sacrifice. That's in John chapter 12, verse 37 uh, through 41. He is the Holy One. Do you realize that? What is your opinion of Christ tonight? Is he just something we do? Perhaps something you wear across your neck or an ornament on your front yard? Christ is the Holy One. Do you realize when God answered Moses and he said, I am that I am, that there was no one he could point down to on earth and say, I am like him? That was until 2,000 years ago when God pointed down from heaven and he said, This is my beloved Son in whom I am well pleased. Because God himself, holiness himself, was walking on this earth and tabernacled among us and went all the way to the cross to atone for our sins. Christ is the Holy One. And he is still speaking. In verse 8, now only now, can we get to the end here in verse 8, where Isaiah hears the voice of the Lord. I wonder, do we hear the voice of God? If you haven't been through verse 1 through 7, you won't hear the voice of God. I'm convinced there are multitudes of good, Christian, safe people that come to church but miss the voice of God. You can sit through a sermon and still not hear the voice of God. But God is speaking today just like he always has been. He speaks through his word. I saw an illustration one time of a sheep 
This was a painted illustration. It was a sheep, and this particular sheep was sitting on, in the pasture on, on a couch, and he was watching his television, and he also had headphones in. He was listening to his iPod, and, and uh, he also had his iPad in another hand, and then his iPhone was, was there as well on his lap, and his TV guide was on the, on the uh, table there, and there was also a radio playing in the background. And then way back, you could, you, could, well, you could see a thought bevel from the sheep that said, I wonder why I haven't heard from my shepherd lately. <laughs> now, in the background, there's the shepherd. And he's crying out, my sheep, my sheep, hear my voice. But the problem is sometimes we're so drowned out with other things. We don't hear the voice of God clear and crisp. But now Isaiah has seen the Lord. He's dealt with his sin. It's been unclogged, and now he can hear the voice of God. And what is it saying? It still says the same thing today. Whom shall I send? And who will go for us? Who will go for us? It's the great call of missions. And let me just tell you, the call is out. The call is out. The call is, people say, I just haven't heard a call. Well, I'll tell you this. There's a call that comes ringing or the restless waves. Send the light. Send the light. There is a call. The problem is, are we listening to the call? Now, we live in America. That means that we live in a, the most comfortable society there ever has been. It's so easy to not hear the call of, of missions because of our comfort and ease in the society. But Isaiah's answer, the very next thing, out of blistered lips, purged lips, the next thing he says is, here am I, send me. He signs up for the call of God. He's signing on a dotted line on a blank page. Now, when we serve the Lord today, boy, we want contracts, don't we? I want to serve two years. I want, I, I want to do it for this amount of time, and I want, the, I want to do this and this and that, but not Isaiah. He says, I've seen him. I'll serve God whatever capacity he wants me in. I'll serve God with whatever. And he does. He signs up, and God's mission is this. He says, go and tell this people. Look there at verse 9. He said, go and tell this people. The vision of God was the only thing powerful enough to cause Isaiah to cry out with his life, here am I, send me, and produces a lifetime of faithfulness to the great mission of God. Do you realize Isaiah, because of this vision, he becomes the prophet that has more vision into who Christ is all the way in the Old Testament than any other Old Testament prophet. Do you realize Isaiah is many times called the fifth gospel? You got Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, and people add in there Isaiah because of all the prophecies of Christ being born of a virgin and coming to save his people from their sins all the way back in the Old Testament because he saw him. And if we are going to make an impact for Christ, if you and I are going to make an impact to uplift the Lord in missions, it first comes when we get this vision of God. We have to see him as high and holy because when it comes down to it, we're not serving man. We're not doing it just for, for, for them, but we've seen the Lord, and it's our desire that the whole earth be full of his glory to go and tell. So here are some final application. Here are some Isaiah 6 truths that are still true today. Number one, God is still holy. Amen? God is still holy. That's not changed. By the way, he still is. I don't care what society does to try to bring God down to man's level and elevate man up to try to bridge the gap that way. It'll never work. Uh, God is still holy and, and man is still sinful. He's still on the throne. He's not nervous. 
God is not twitching. God is not uh, up at Twitter at night seeing what Donald Trump is going to put out next time. God is seated and he is in control and he is still the thrice holy God. The Father is holy. The Son is still holy and the Spirit is holy and he is still on the throne of this universe. The radiance of his glory is great and heaven itself still can't even contain it. The posts are shaking filled with the glory of God. The call is still this, that all the earth would be full of the glory of God. God is still holy. But secondly, man is still sinful. Man is still sinful. Without God, man is still knows that woe is me. The shedding of blood. Man knows there's something wrong with his blood. And the Philippines, boy, they will shed their blood. The ancient Aztecs would shed their blood. Still today, teenagers, knowing something is wrong, might slit their wrists. There's something about uh, blood and, and, and that it was only a blood sacrifice of the perfect man, the Lord Jesus Christ, that it could atone for sin. But man is still woefully undone without God. Do you realize this world, set with 7.8 billion people, billions that have not recognized this king. The world holds 1.6 billion Muslims today. 1.2 billion Buddhists, 1 billion Hindus, 1 billion secularists or agnostics, 1 billion Roman Catholics today. We have a billion others in denominational Christianity, of course, mostly dead and void of the gospel. We have less than a billion scattered throughout all the other religions of the world. And there are still 7,000 unreached people groups today in our world. The Philippines has still 30 unreached people groups, tribes, languages that have not had a gospel witness. There's much work still to be done. You ask, why should I get involved in missions? Why should I give to missions? Why should I pray for missions? There's seven billion reasons why. But there's one great reason why that supersedes them all, and that is for the glory of God. Amen? It's because we have such a great God. God is still holy. Man is still sinful. But thirdly, God is still calling for those whose sins have been purged, who hear his voice, to go and tell others. The call is still, whom shall I send and who will go for us? Now for Isaiah, in the context here, it's not foreign missions. We apply it many times that way. For Isaiah, it was to stay right where he was. It's, isn't it a, a neat paradox? You stay where you are, but you go forward for the gospel. Amen. That's what Isaiah did. He stayed in Israel where he was. You can stay right here in Puyallup uh, or what is this? South. Uh, I'm still confused what exactly this is. OK, I just call it Puyallup. I'm just happy I can pronounce it right. Amen. Uh, the phrase that pays. But anyway, I already blew my chance in Spokane. Or Spokane. Spokane. All right. Anyway, <coughs> I like Tacoma. That's easy. But uh, where was I? You're truly in the midst of a people, as Isaiah saw, that the whole earth would be full of his glory. You can stay where you are and still go forward for the mission of God. Because right here, the greatest text of missions, he says, whom shall I send and who will go for us? Isaiah didn't cross any ocean. He didn't become a foreign missionary, but he did go. He did go forward for th with the call of God and you and I can do the same. Our cry can be that the whole earth would be full of his glory, starting here in Washington, all throughout the United States, that we make an impact for missions, North, Central, South America, Europe, Asia, Africa, Australia, and Oceania, the, the Middle East, Iran, China, Russia, even in Somalia, India, North Korea, the uttermost. There is no place where God's glory 
should not have a foothold. Amen? Because he's such a great and worthy God. Oh, we ought to go forward for the gospel of God's global glory by gaining a glimpse of this gloriously good God. Now, the call of God is to go. We saw that here. We know it's in the Great Commission. Wherever you go, if you talk about missions, you're going to see in the Bible that word go. The problem is we have stayed. Many times we have not been moved. We've stayed with our lives. We've stayed with our priorities. We've stayed with our conversation. We've stayed with our finances. Some have stayed with, with their time. We've stayed with our prayers. We've stayed with our, in our comfort. We've stayed in our abundance. Some have stayed with bigger houses. Some have stayed with second and third and fourth cars. We've stayed in our thoughts. We've stayed with our schedules. We've stayed in our hearts. But the command of God is to go. Amen? I thank God I'm sure there are some here. You could have a bigger house, but you don't for the cause of missions. You could have a better car, but you don't for the cause of missions. What have we sacrificed for the call of God? That's what it'll come down to on that great day. On that great day, our portfolios will not impress God. The only thing that will matter, the only thing we can take with us before Christ in heaven is what we have done to bring other souls to the saving knowledge of Christ. Either through our own witness or through what we have given to help missions spread all over the world. For me personally, I cannot stay. I must go. I must go. God's call for me is foreign missions. In one year, by God's grace, 90% of our support has come in. Just a few more churches and we will be on the field. Because there's a certain urgency with God's mission. It's more than just a commitment. It's more than just a, a business meeting. As Christ said, I must work the works of him that sent me while it is day. Even as it says there on the back, the night cometh when no man can work. What does it mean? It means we ought to go forward in such a way that reflects the glory of God. Amen? That makes God look great. Perhaps you've heard the story of the Moravian missionaries. And back then, there was, now it's one missionary. In the United States, it's one missionary for every seven independent Baptist churches. It takes seven churches, seven Baptist churches in the United States to send one missionary. I pray God would call some out of this very church. That should be a rebuke to, to, to us all. But back in the Moravian times, it was one missionary for every three Christians. Not three churches, three Christ, for every three Christians, there was one missionary being sent. And we've heard, many of us have heard the story of those that wanted to reach a certain slave uh, colony. It was an island owned by a slave owner. And uh, he would not allow any missionary to ever go there. He was hostile toward the gospel. It would never happen. And so to reach those people, these young men were so moved they, from England, they sold themselves into slavery. Can't be undone. They sold themselves into slavery, got on a ship, on a slave ship, just so that they could access those people and spend their lives witnessing to them, sharing the gospel to them. There was no other way they could be reached. They sold themselves into slavery. And as the ship was leaving, their families there to see them off from England, headed toward that slave colony, they cried out, they said this, may the lamb that was slain receive the reward of his suffering. You see, that, that's missions in a way that makes God look awesome, amen? 
That's what it means. To the great God that we have, to go in such a way that reflects God's glory. But also to give in such a way. If God does not call you to leave, to give in such a way that reflects the glory of God. Part-time service to the Lord and spare change, we know that will not get the job done. It is done through sacrifice in a way that makes God look great. To go forward for the global glory of God. Again, the only thing worse than being born blind is to have sight but no vision. May God give us a vision of what a great God that we have, that he is still holy, that man is still sinful, that that coal is still ready to purge sin. It just needs somebody to go and tell, to advance the kingdom for the global glory of God. Let's pray. Dear Lord, Heavenly Father, we thank you so much for your love and goodness toward us. Thank you for purging our sin away, that it was only the finished sacrifice of Christ that could have ever purged our woeful condition away. Now we're saved, we're justified. Now it's been given to us to, to respond to the, call, the open call that whom shall I send and who will go for us? Help us to be willing to go forward in the way that you lead. Perhaps some would be called to leave house and land to go to a foreign land to preach. Perhaps, Lord, others would be called to stay here, to hold the rope of missions and to give, to sacrifice, even send themselves through their resources so that missions can advance, so that the whole earth would be full of his glory. Lord, we know you are such a great and worthy God. One day there will be a great multitude that no man can number, singing holy, 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 and hallelujah to the Lamb. Lord, may us put forth the effort that will get the gospel to every creature. Lord, we ask that you bless this invitation time now. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Let's all stand.